Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Therapy Session, or, well, show. I'm Andrew Slavin and it's International Week and that means more suffering for Scotland fans. Crisis in Kazakhstan followed by a slumber fest in San Marino. McLeish, shinny the pitch, who or what is to blame? Are we to blame for always believing? (sighs) It's not great when Scotland are on the ball. But it's a good thing that so many clubs in Scotland are. Later on, we will speak to On The Ball, who are celebrating the one-year anniversary of their campaign for free period products at Football Grounds. Speaking of birthdays, it's been a landmark week for Queen of the South. We'll be dipping into the Dunhamers, who are 100 years old. In the studio with me, someone who's significantly younger than that, it's Laura Brannan. Hello. And there were rumours this weekend of a man raised in Aberdeen supposedly staging a coup and making a move for one of the most valued seats in the UK. JJ Bull. <laughs> Is that you? Uh, no, I'm not. The particular weasel in question. <laughs> right, okay, I'm, I'm over the, the, the miserableness now. Let's cheer, cheer up. Um, Shay Logan of Aberdeen was on a stag do. And had some very funny attire on JJ. <laughs> he was dressed up as Scott Brown, his best friend. It was good. He had a Celtic shirt on and he was having a great time. And he was showing all the pictures from his stag. And uh, he even did a competition where you could try and give a quote to a picture of one of the photos. And the winner gets to go on the home leg of the stag. Did you put your caption in? I did not, no. No, you wouldn't want no, to go to Shea Logan. It's fine. I don't need to be involved in everything. I think it's just fine to watch some things as a, a spectator. One of the best things about that photo is I like the, the shoes he's wearing. It's not actual football boots. It's like proper mascot shoes. Massive fluffy <laughs> numbers. It's quite quite cute. So it's a weird bit of historical context. And I guess it's to be mentioned that uh, Shea Logan um, accused Alexander Tonev of racially abusing him, which he denied. And... Uh, I think he was charged with it in the end, actually. He was, enough, he yeah. was. He was on loan from Aston Villa and he packed his bags back to Birmingham pretty quickly after that. And a certain group of people who um, claim to support Celtic didn't believe Shea Logan's version of this and it has a thing against him. And then it became just more of a, thankfully, that's the racism bit seemed to go to the back of the room and it was more just a wind up where they hate Shea Logan for being Shea Logan. I mean, it's a controversial one. And then Scott Brown got involved and they all uh, had a lovely time on the pitch, best friends forever. And uh, that's that's sort of it. Yeah, it's a good bit of banter. Like he got sent off at the end of the season for um for cupping his ears towards the Celtic fans after a win. After they won the game, yeah, yeah didn't they? Yeah. At Celtic Park, wasn't so, it? So yeah, so they've his pals dressed him up like a Celtic player. It's fantastic. Happy marriage day, Shay. When it happens. <laughs> Let's start with where the international weekend began. Do we with have a, to? Yes, 
we are going to discuss this and dissect it and rip it to pieces. A pretty miserable performance on Thursday afternoon. Kazakhstan 3, Scotland 0. Here's what a few football writers thought on Twitter. Old Firm Facts are good, mate. Kazakhstan go chasing a fourth. The most embarrassing sentence in Scottish football history. Jonathan Northcroft. At what point do we get our own Netflix series? (laughs) (laughs) And JJ Bull says, I genuinely think St Mirren would have done a better job than Scotland in this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. I think McLeish could have just stayed at home and told the players to go out on the pitch and they would have done a better job. It was awful. It's one of the it's probably the worst performance and result in Scottish football history. Uh, I did not see it coming. <laughs> no, but nobody uh, saw it coming. No, no, no. no I, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, well, I told you so and everything. But before the game, I was particularly nervous about this one. Why? I did say last week because that Kazakhstan is exactly the kind of team that Scotland would underestimate because um, they are technically quite good on the ball. They're not great players, but they're, they're only technically okay. Yeah. But there's also the fact, I mean, before you even take into consideration they had a long flight, it's an artificial pitch, we were missing some of our best players. We do not do well against smaller teams. So... Or are you saying there are very few of those left? Against teams teams that are quite far away from us. Well, teams that are lower down in the pots, in the rankings, teams we've not played against very often, teams that we should be getting results against. And I've just, I've seen it too often. We've, we've gone away to these remote countries and we perform so poorly that I think anyone who thought this was going to be a walk in the park has not really watched Scotland play that very often. We should give a bit of context. Kazakhstan are ranked 117th in the world. They're absolutely sh- Yeah, so the, the the fact that Scotland are in the top 40, yeah. this should have been a no-brainer. Yeah, and but context- unfortunately, that seems to have been the problem for Scotland going into this game. I mean, there are so many problems we can strip them apart, but in context, it's right to say that uh, Kazakhstan won the game fairly because they were the better team so you'd think because we always seem to do badly against smaller nations like I remember the ones we've drawn and lost and we should have won Russia pumped them 4-0 Georgia beat them 2-1 recently they were held to a draw by Latvia they're, they're not good in context this is a, this is a sh- shambles it's, it, what the hell? it's stupid I barely cared about it in the first place because it's Scotland, international football just, oh, I was scared we're going to lose it's going to be fine believe- even though they've made more teams in the European Championships just so we can get in to go f- from what Laura said some really terrible results from the past if we pick out drawing 2-2 with the Faroe Islands in 2002 under Bertie Vokes we don't particularly start campaigns very well too many players are getting away with too many things this is meant to be the pinnacle of your career the highest level you can play at and players should be Desperate to get into the international stage. I think that's changed, Laura. Champions League is the pinnacle of your career now. No, but it is. No, because there's so many players in the squad that for them they're not going to ever have the chance of playing in the Champions League. So for 98 percent of the Scotland squad, the pinnacle should be playing for the national team. And who's, who's not? Uh, who's not playing? Like Ryan Fraser missed that one. Right, so Ryan Fraser and Callum Patterson missed out due to the plastic pitch. Now there's two sides to this, and I can argue both sides of it because I'm kind of on the fence with this. One, if Premier League players can't play on artificial surfaces because obviously it's different for players that play in Scotland who are used to, let's say James Forrest, etc., playing at Ackies and Kelly on a regular basis. But in England, they don't have that. So if players like that cannot go away and play on these surfaces, then there needs to be questions over what's allowed in European qualifiers. Should they be banned 
from such a high competition should Kazakhstan either be forced to change the location of the game or not be allowed to take part in the qualifiers because they have an artificial pitch? Um, I mean, I think we're going to get a little side. We lost 3 0 Kazakhstan uh, regardless right. of the pitch. And also, England, this is not unique to Scotland. England players have done it for years, have not been in the squad, they've come out. Gareth Southgate's trying to get a hold of it, but he even says that Jesse Lingard will struggle to get back in the team now that he's you've missed out a wee bit. Uh, Wales didn't have Ryan Giggs for half the time. Even Gareth Bale, right. who loves Wales. So this is, this is kind of getting off topic, but the other argument is this is a medical advice. We don't have a lot of medical investigations into the effects of plastic pitches, and I feel like there needs to be more done before players can start calling the shots. So, I also so, think as well, before we go into that, <laughs> it's Kazakhstan away who can be arsed because it should be an easy win you're in a busy Premier League season if you're a big player that's also that's also what I'm saying but they absolutely can because they're getting paid 80 grand a week by the club so why why should the club let them go international and get killed the club shouldn't be the ones that are in charge so this is what I'm saying this is what I'm saying from what JJ's alluded to have Scotland just said to themselves before this game it's Kazakhstan Let's just worry about this later. Let's just get the game it takes done. So much out of you. You're going all the way to Kazakhstan. It's a pain in the arse. It's not going to be the greatest game you ever play in the world. And your club's paying you all this money, so especially if you're just. Who cares? They're coming back from their recovery for their job, their career, so it can affect their entire career. Ryan Fraser's always had trouble with injuries. He's got that. Robertson had to go to the dentist. That's why he didn't play. And Stephen Fletcher. The fact not there. of the matter is, Scotland, and can we agree on this? The team that they put out was good enough to win that game. Evidently not. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But before the game, tell me if I'm wrong, but I felt quite confident looking I mean, at the team on paper. So the team that played against Kazakhstan, Ollie McBurney, uh, what the hell is he? Oliver Burke, nowhere near where he should be as a player yet. Stuart Armstrong does find Southampton, but it's kind of a luxury player you can't really do much with, right? If you're needing to do stuff. James Forrest, fine. Um, so he's playing, is it Liam Palmer, right back? Yeah, right. so how much of a surprise was that from Sheffield Wednesday? If you've got to play Graham Shinney at left back, so you're making you're already making a, a change that is not ideal because you're missing Tierney and Robertson, why would you then start a brand new yeah, right back? I, I don't understand why you would drop Stephen O'Donnell, who's been playing regularly, um, for a, a player that's just came in. We've not seen anything of him in an international setup. So yeah. don't throw him in and then have an unnatural left back at the same time as what JJ's saying. It's complete imbalance. Sure, Armstrong, he's not been playing a regular 90 minutes. He saw it in this game that he doesn't do... The, the balance was all wrong. The team set up was all wrong. So McLeish said that they had all these tactics set up. I think McGregor came out and said that, that um, McLeish gave them all the tactics before the game. <laughs> he gave them all the tactics, right? <laughs> Every tactic. Yeah. And then, so they went onto the pitch and then didn't deliver. McLeish said they started well. They started well for two minutes when Ollie Burke went on a, a wild run at 80,000 miles an hour past it on the left. And that's what they kept doing all through the game. Uh, and then that was the only thing they did well. And then... Well, we're down after four minutes. Yeah, two 0 down after ten minutes. And we should um, strip down the goals as well, right? Yeah, for sure. So Scotland didn't have a shot on target until uh, ten minutes into the second half as well. <laughs> so just remember that. McLeish started with a more progressive kind of looking team. It's a four three three. So it's meant to be able to give yourself options to pass it. You've got McGinn, you've got McGregor, and you've got Armstrong in midfield. All players who can move the ball, move into space, absolutely fine. So that, in, in theory, that should have really worked. However, what happened was that the defensive line was too high. The, there was no pressure from the front. The midfield was outnumbered immediately because Kazakhstan pushed their... They played a, a back five, it was basically five through two. Wingbacks pushed so high from the start because they could uh, that it was a three, three, four for most of the game. So the wingbacks were pinned. So you had Shinny and Palmer had to kind of come inside and they were basically dealing with two people at any one time. There was always a spare man on the other side. And the, what you then have to do immediately is pull Forrest and Burke back from their wide 
positions to be more in line. So it's like a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-5-1. So you're covering those flanks. That is, I mean, 101. That's that's what you do so you don't get absolutely pummeled down the wings, even though it's Kazakhstan. But that happened, and the first goal came about from a straight ball over the top. Route one. No pressure from the front. McBurney's just letting him stand. It's absolutely, I mean, he shouldn't be doing it, but you can see the shape is weird. Maybe a 4-3-3. I've got a screen grab at 5 minutes 24 of this game and the ball goes straight but the problem you've got is Shinny's trying to play offside but also he can see over his left shoulder about 20 yards to his left the right wing back for Kazakhstan is hugging the line Mm -hmm. so he can't do too much he needs to watch this and he knows if he steps forward this guy should be offside but it's bad communication between him and McKenna there he should never have enough time to ping that over the top. The midfield might, not, might as well not be there. Second goal, almost exactly the same thing. Shinny said it was his fault. I feel really sorry for what he said. Of course you do, JJ. Uh, come on. I don't care who it is, Laura. If no. someone comes out and says it's their fault, is I feel there... sorry for them. No, because do you think it's Shinny's fault? It is Shinny's fault. Shinny's fault for all three goals. And he's right to come out and say it was his fault. Absolutely. He was right to come out and say it was his fault and he's right to say he should never be picked again right. for Scotland in that position. Why, why is he He should fault? never be played at left-back again for Scotland because he conceded three goals for us. He didn't concede three goals He's completely to blame. It. it doesn't matter which player came out and said it or which player was at fault. The fact that the player who was at fault came out and admitted that, then great. But it doesn't mean that everyone then goes, oh, that's really cute that he said that and I feel a bit sorry for him now. It's no, that's good on you for shouldering the blame. You've between, manned up. There's a difference and it, between admitting good. and taking responsibility for something, right? So that's one thing I think is important to take into account. Secondly, I really want to know why you think it is Shinny specifically at fault for this goal. When I've just explained exactly the tactical reasons why he is completely isolated and cannot... So the ball goes inside him. It's a great through pass, right? Absolutely superb. And you can't take that away from the Kazakh player either. Again, the first man, the first action is the problem. There is no pressure on the man on the ball. Shinny loses his man. uh, um, Why do you think he loses him? He's not naturally in his position there and he is slow. He's sleeping. He needs to pay more attention. He needs to be on his man. He's not sleeping. He's got a million things going on. (laughs) The whole passion of play. I understand what you're saying, right? But I think you need to look at it this way. Football isn't a case of one person makes a mistake and that's the goal. It can be. But this here is a series of events that have caused this to happen. Shinny is at fault, yes, because his positioning is just wrong. But the reason he's out of position is because he is having to cover for a man who is far too wide. If he's playing left all the time, maybe he's a bit better does there. It not, does it not come down to who takes responsibility for certain plays? So if you're defending... It's open play, though, if you're def- Of course it is. But if you're defending, that, to me, looks like not just Shinny's fault, but the whole back line taking responsibility for a ball that's a long pass into the back line and nobody reacts. Shinny's basically bailing, I think bailing no, no, the he, whole back line out. Re- at that exact moment, I he just, runs in the I, wrong I, direction. I, I think and the ball takes him out because you expect no. the ball to go wide it goes no, inside him. Hold on. That's what happens in that position. Right, no, because unfair. if the ball goes wide, Shinny's never going to get to that flag. That's fine because it. you want to block them on the outside. That's how you do it. So no, you push them out wide. You'd have to. In that case, it should be Burke who is back no, tracking the wing back which is what case, I'm saying Shinny has to turn around and run the other direction but he doesn't he runs in completely the wrong direction for both players absolute chaos in the totally yeah. Scottish football <laughs> just on 2-0 we're not even at 3-0 yeah, yet but this is what, so like, I think Callum McGregor was absolutely shocking in this game and the San Marino game yes, and he cannot play as that holding player at all Listen, the he whole should have per- been in the block in the middle of that whole thing you can strip it down in different uh, pieces the whole of performance awful. was 
totally disgraceful yeah. from a, a fan's point of view. <laughs> and there is no way that anyone's going to come out with that with any credit, no, despite was... despite Shinny taking some responsibility. There were no and, leaders and, and in the pitch. So, Yeah, I, I totally agree. It was Callum McGregor's first Scotland <laughs> captaincy um, in this game. And, and what, what, a, what a nightmare because you don't have a lot of experience there. So does this result solely land on one person's shoulders, Alex McLeish. I think it is a fault of the entire Scottish coaching system over several years, like three decades, four decades. I think we've been going this way for a long time. That's just kind of the final knock on the door. Like, oh, by the way, you've been absolutely rotten for years. See, if I was one of those fans that travelled all the way to Kazakhstan, and I've been in that position before, going across to places like Georgia, and you stand there and you just think... It's interesting, like, at 90 minutes to see which players come over and actually clap the fans, which is one thing. But for then, in the post-match interviews, for the manager to come out and apologise for what they just went through, they've paid a lot of money to go over there. And for them to just not even acknowledge that and say, this isn't good enough, we apologise to the supporters, nothing like that. It's just a case of, I'm not going to talk about my future, I'm going to move on to the next game. It's cliched nonsense. Listeners, we are Scottish and we love beer. We especially love craft beer. So it's good news that once again we are sponsored by Edinburgh's very own Beer 52, who want to give all of you lovely listeners to the Totally Scottish Football Show a free case of beer. Hooray! Craft beer! Beer 52 is the largest craft beer on the planet. The largest craft beer on the planet. How big is it? Largest craft beer club on the planet. <laughs> they search out exclusive small batch booze from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. This month, for absolutely no reason in particular, they're bringing together the craft breweries from across the UK and Europe for their Citizens of Everywhere case, featuring the Anglo-Swedish mashup Citra Grisette. Wales Tiny Rebel Mango IPA. I've had that. That's amazing. Tiny Rebel make very good beer. Yeah. And the refreshingly crisp French brew from Mont Salève. It's almost my name. If that all sounds like your type of thing, sign up now at beer52.com slash Scottish and you'll get eight craft beers, some delicious bar snacks, and probably best of all, Beer 52's award-winning magazine, Ferment. Again, the beer is the best bit. <laughs> all you have to do is pay 5 95 for delivery. And if you decide after that this free taster that the club isn't for you, there's no catch. You can leave Beer 52 at any time, which is class. Just head to beer52.com slash scottish and enter the offer code SCOTTISH to claim your free case today. That's beer52.com slash scottish. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. So we move on to Sunday where Scotland travel to San Marino, a team ranked the worst in the world. McLeish's men managed to avoid further humiliation with a 2-0 victory. There were six changes in this game. After the Kazakhstan game, the amount of people going, oh, San Marino have lost 4-0 to Cyprus, but don't worry, lads, we've got Scotland on Sunday. There's an opportunity. Like, a few of my course. friends genuinely put um, bets on San Marino to win it. What was your own personal... I genuinely thought of... it would be 1 or 2-0 to Scotland. Yeah, I was more confident with this one. But, like, confident? No, yeah, I, was, but... I was confident it would be a disaster. Which is what oh, it was. 1 or 2-0 for Scotland to lose? No, for us to win. Beating San Marino 2-0... 
And the way we played is absolutely oh. shocking. Oh, I'm not. I'm not excusing that in the slightest. I just. I thought Scotland, yes, would get the points. I was more thinking the 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 emotion, the the feeling of you know. All right, we're going to play San Marino. If we'd beaten Kazakhstan 3-0 going into this game, it would have still been like, oh, cool, let's see who gets an opportunity. Let's see, let's see what style, let's let's see if we can play a different way, let's see who gets opportunities. But it wasn't. It was it was sheer sweatiness and nervousness. And I kind of felt like that's what it looked like on the pitch. Yeah, but I don't actually think this is new for Scotland. Unfortunately, I feel it was this sort of lacklustre attitude from the fans for a long time now. Everyone's just worn down. We're, we're so mentally drained and we all still do it because we're diehard supporters and we put our money in and this is this is our club. But at the same time, they'll all admit that why are we doing this and why are you running us into the ground and testing us like this? And I don't think that between the, the double header that this one was any different between the, the Albania and Israel game at the start of the Nations League when things weren't going well either. So we had um, Andy Robertson came back to captain the side and it got off to a good start. Ken McLean with a nice little header after four I'm minutes, JJ. Header, yeah. it, was a, it was a good move with two players that we'd like to have seen possibly in the in the, in the Kazakhstan game. I think Ryan McLean, Fraser with a, a, a yeah. nice little ball in. Uh, and Kenny McLean in the forward area well everything went through Fraser didn't it he's the he best did. player on the team Kenny McLean did uh, well a few misplaced bits and pieces but he's not played at that um, international well I say at that level it's San Marino he's played against harder teams than that in the championship this season St Mirren definitely would be <laughs> yeah, uh, San, Marino. San Marino yeah I agree also ta- <laughs> when the San Marino team came out it reads like a pro evil list Battistini <laughs> Golonucci Mola Roni I'm pretty sure they're made up but the, uh, this game, there's no cohesion to it. As soon as McGregor went off and McTominay came on and there was some an actual holding player there, Scotland were instantly much, much better. And I would be surprised, actually, no, I wouldn't, if we saw um, McGregor not do that role again. He, he can play in a two, I think, mm-hmm. next to a holding player. But you can't have McLean doing the same thing McGregor's doing. You can have one or the other. You shouldn't be only beating them 2-0. No. no. Was, was, <laughs> were, Scotland, were Scotland... To me, it looked like they were nervous. When you saw the amount of times we ha- we had the ball, it was something like eighty percent possession. But you had McGregor, yeah. you had McGregor and McLean when we were in possession, sitting, still sitting, also... and it was so. It but then was they so have blocky. The... You had your four, yeah. and then you had um, McLean and McGregor in, in the two. And because San Marino knew that the game that they were going to be in, they just forced Scotland out wide, and it was just constant crosses into the box um, and where we had Callum Patterson who always wins stuff in the air but at the same time there was no invention Break it down and look at the players that have been playing we have good players we have very good players that we are lucky that are Scottish for example Andy Robertson, John McGinn, James Forrest who are absolutely on fire for the club this season but as soon as they come into the Scotland setup, they disappear they're non-existent James Forrest against Kazakhstan Wow, where was he? Because I've been criticised before for criticising Forrest when he pulls on a Scotland jersey and with the exception to the two Nations League games at the end of last year he has been rank rotten for Scotland and it is not a reflection of how well he does for Celtic and I hoped those games was a turning point for him and then as soon as he played against Kazakhstan they were aware, right back to the start again Andy Robertson he has not been outstanding for Scotland since he took the captaincy. He's been very quiet. He doesn't get down the flanks as much as we'd like him to. And he, again, doesn't reflect his club performances. 
John McGinn as well. But I then I then He's back up the Robertson good. thing. It's to do with the whole team. It's to do if they don't have the support from someone ahead of them, you can't do the thing. So Robertson can't charge up the left if there's already a left forward in that space. You can't do it. There's no point in him going to, to halfway because there's already someone there as well. It's to do with how like every single player moves in and out of the position they're meant to be in. And I think you've got I'm not arguing against yeah. that though. But what I'm saying is that's concerning when you've got players who are potentially player of the year for their own club. And when they all come together, we're not seeing that reflection. But that's why balance so is so important. Who's, that's who's, who's to blame for and, that? Is it the and manager? And Forrest as well had the, had the, the midfield was all wrong behind him as well. I think it's just getting the right players in in finding the balance of it, and there's not it's not there. It is about just winning the game, and that's what Scotland did. So do we have to look ahead of this now? Do we have to move on and think? All we have to do is get behind the team and move on to the next game in Cyprus in June. We had. Billy Dodds, the former Dundee Rangers and Scotland international, saying the atmosphere in San Marino was toxic. I think, personally, it's fair for fans to express their disappointment and and their, their anger. But there has to come a point where we have to back the team that are on the pitch when the football is being played. Do we move on from this? Right, a couple of points there. I don't think, firstly, they were getting agitated and booing so much the players as opposed to the board and the manager you're you're talking about well we got the three points that's the most important thing and I completely agree I left after the San Marino game quite happy at the fact right we did what we came to do we got the three points that's the most important thing in the long run but the fans have had 20 years of grinding out these sort of results and yes it's fine from a mathematical perspective but when you're so close to not getting those points you're, you're running a risk of taking on teams like Cyprus, Kazakhstan and San Marino, who we should be running right across and possibly dropping points to them. So we shouldn't be at that level where we just go, oh, but it's OK, we got the points, let's move on to the next game. Because we need to better that and improve that. And that's where it comes into the question of a better management system. Well, we were always going to win that game, just 2-0 wasn't good enough. I, I kind of expected more like 10-0. And Even then the maybe... score, the way they played, it was not, wasn't good enough. Yeah. So... Where do we look now? Is Alex McLeish the right person to take Scotland forward? And what responsibility do the SFA have to take for the current position Scotland are in? Because after all, it's the SFA that appointed Alex McLeish. Yeah, and the SFA aren't going to get rid of Alex McLeish either. Alex McLeish is too in with his mates, high up at the SFA, and you're not going to sack your mate. He's safe because of who is above him at the SFA. So unless you're going to sack the people above him, right now McLeish is safe. He's not like a mafia man. He, he does actually want to win. <laughs> like his objective is to get Scotland to qualify. I think it's not the point whether he's um, an evil man trying to sabotage Scotland from within. I just wonder whether it's just not working for him. The way I don't know what it is. I feel like that group of players could do with someone closer to their own age, some like a 40-year-old kind of person yeah, with I mean, a lot of drive. It kind of gets to the stage where you look at McLeish now and you, you hear him in interviews and it's almost getting to a stage where you feel sorry for him. He's living off past glories from the previous campaign. That's obviously why he got the job in the first place. It's not what he's done since then. Is he going to stick around for the long term? Because some of the things he says is quite questionable and you've got to ask why. Why are you, you contradicting yourself? 
there has to be major questions over if he is the right man from that I team. mean, I think you should judge him on his football form. It's not what he says yeah, in is only 60 years old and there's plenty yeah. of international managers that, that, that are kicking around at the moment. But why can't you judge him on what he's saying in press conferences? Because what he's saying is he's coming out and saying well, certain he's a players... Manager and he's not, but he's coming not out thing. and saying certain players are injured and that's why they're not getting called well, up. I and then they go and score I tend to agree because me personally, I react more to a manager that would almost like Neil Lennon who would probably come out and totally berate the squad and say that is a disgraceful performance mm. I've spoken to them right now if that performance happens again I'll kick their ass. <laughs> something like that something that? that's on a personal mm. level someone that can relate to the fan Alex McLeish is the biggest Scotland fan out there he's got the best job as a Scottish person in the world, but you know, he, he, of course, to... he wants to do a great job, but also from a from a national point of view, you, I think it's important to relate on a personal level. I, I agree, right? But um, there's no right or wrong way to manage. These are people, and you have to manage people, and it's squad management. I don't think for a second McLeish thinks they've done well and they've just been unlucky. He's probably wanting to lay into them, but a lot of managers don't do that now. You hear a lot of stories about how even Sir Alex Ferguson used to have to not treat players the same way that he did towards the end because players are very different. Mm -hmm. Some players respond to criticism, some don't. There'll be modern things that you can't really lay into them. If you throw them under the bus like that straight away, they were awful. Like, let's not get away from it. But before that, we were like, oh, this looks like it could be quite promising. And now it's just dreadful and it was all a lie before. If Scotland get to the summer and play Cyprus and lose, is that the end of Alex McLeish's Scotland reign? Well, I would say it was the end now. I don't know why anyone's hanging about. We're already two games in. Don't leave it even longer because then we're just going to dig ourselves more of a hole like we had before in previous campaigns where, was it Craig Levine left after four games? And then Walter Smith came in and he didn't quite have the time to kind of build up and we came close by the end, but it was always that what if? What if you had those two extra games or three extra games? Um, if we lose to Cyprus, not only is it mathematically pretty much impossible, but we do not deserve to take part in a tournament. I don't know what the state of Scottish coaches are. Actually, I'm doing my coaching badges soon, by the way. Anyway, um, I'll be one of the bad ones. But you need to address everything. So I don't know how different it is from when I was growing up, but their parents on the side of the pitch shouting, clear your lines, all this sort of stuff. That needs to be addressed so Scotland play proper football. You need to have 4G pitches everywhere so young players come through and they're good. The whole thing is it's just a horrible mess. And the person in charge of the actual team, I think, should be someone who makes it very rigid and structured. Someone like Michael O'Neill at, um, at Northern Ireland. Make sure you don't lose first, because that's what we need. We can't start trying to play like we're at Man City. You know, It looks nice, but you lose 3-0 to Kazakhstan when you're Scotland. We don't have very good players. I know it looks like we good players on paper, but actually, I think most teams in the world would be like, oh, we're going to easy beat them. Also, also, we, we, we went for Michael O'Neill well, no, before right. Alice McLeish and he turned Scotland down. To turn <laughs> so. around and say that Scotland don't have the good players, if you're comparing it to Northern Ireland, we have far better players than Northern Ireland. But the difference is they've got a good manager who can then turn it into a team unit and it doesn't Absolutely. matter who totally your star agree. player is. They can bring together, I mean, Josh McGuinness, Niall McGinn, Aye, fine. They're, they're, they're fine for Scottish Premiership, but they're not international level. They're not World Cup stars. Oh, you're dead right. Yeah. But Michael O'Neill can bring these players together and make something special out of that, and that is what we are lacking. And sometimes these managers don't do well in club football, let's face it. No. Gareth Southgate wasn't great in Middlesbrough, no, no. and England got lucky with his appointment anyway it's because watch he, was, well. he was an interim. But I, I take your point, someone who's came from the youth setup to then go into the international setup and you carry that method. 
it bears fruit. Um, Whoever we get is no one's going to be happy with. Not everyone will be happy with it. I thought Strachan was doing okay-ish, but not really. Um, he had some good ideas, but I don't think he managed to get the team to do what it should be doing. McLeese, I don't know what it is he's bringing to the team whatsoever, other than three 0 defeats to Kazakhstan. I don't know who I'd possibly name to place him. I mean, Derek McInnes. I don't think he'd be able to do it very well. I think he needs too much. He needs every day in like a if club. He, setting. If he took, if he took. Um, the Scotland job and the Aberdeen job at the same Ooh. time. I don't think I don't, I don't know if they'd offer it to him, and I don't know. I mean, Ooh, he might be like fine. That. Him, Steve <laughs> Clark. Um, it's quite be Steve Clark, surely. One name that did though I raise an eyebrow at was Jack Ross getting mentioned. Yeah. I don't think he's done enough to really be considered at that level. Well, I think because he's young, Jack Ross has already won the championship with uh, Saint Mirren. They played nice football. But I think he'd like to adapt his tactics to wherever he was playing and they were hard to break down when he's playing against big teams. Basic, like, but simple, and he understands it. He seems to know how to talk to players. He's got Sunderland doing very well. He would actually probably be a great choice because he's at the right age. Southgate didn't do amazingly, but he speaks well and he clearly knows what he's talking about. And he's been part of the whole process. And it's maybe it maybe works. I mean, I don't know how well the under twenty ones have done or anything like that, but I'm guessing it's not amazing. Yeah, I don't think Billy Stark's going to be getting the Scotland job anytime <laughs> soon. But um, I just look forward to June when we have destroyed Cyprus and pumped Belgium four 0 on my birthday as well. Cannot wait happy to be Belgium birthday. on my birthday because <laughs> that'll be a happy birthday. Time to talk about some people who are actually doing a bit of good in Scottish football. One year ago, three girls began a campaign for free period products at Celtic and have been doing the same for clubs around Scotland. It's called On The Ball and one of the founders, Erin Slavin, joins us now. Hi Erin, how are you doing? I should say we're we're related, aren't we? (laughs) Yes, we sure are. I don't know if we were going to make that public knowledge, but yes, we are. Yes, we are. You're my wee cousin. And I love you lots. <laughs> so, Erin, talk to us then. Give us some background on, on where this all started and, and where you are now. So, it all kind of started um, a year ago, like you said. Um, it kind of came to an idea that I had. I was I studied politics. I was aware of like, what was happening in Parliament about you know making period products free in schools, universities, colleges. But then the thought kind of came, you know, why are we not focusing outside the education? Because while it's obviously invaluable that women and girls don't miss out on school or uni, that social inclusion is just as important. And so we thought maybe we should be expanding that outside education. And for us, being three football fans, it just made sense to start in football grounds at our own team, Celtic. Um, So it was a Celtic-specific campaign to begin with. And then once they got on board, we thought, wow, let's just keep pushing with this. And here we are, we've got... 77 teams on board now which is just mad so aye it's great we've actually got our first um, Brazilian team on board this morning Um, I know I'm just mad Um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation but it's Recife I think is how you pronounce it Um, so aye it's just going pure global it's mental One of the clubs I wanted to pick out was LA Galaxy that kind of like totally launched this campaign into a global kind of thing hasn't it? Mm Mm-hmm yeah, definitely. We just couldn't believe it when Elite Galaxy came on board. I mean, usually how we operate is we're really passionate about keeping it like grassroots and fan-led. So we're always wanting to work with other fans to make the change. So we don't want to approach clubs that we don't support and see here's what we think we should be doing. But we don't want to become like a lobbying campaign. So we'll kind of wait for um, fans at other clubs to approach us. Or we'll kind of reach out to them and say, how would you feel about taking this forward to your club? And we'll work directly with them. Elite Galaxy... It was different, so they actually approached us. Um, somebody for the club approached us. Um, it wasn't a supporter. 
that kind of happens every now and again. It'll be somebody, you know, for like the, the, the club foundation or something similar. So to think that a club like LA Galaxy were approaching us, like, how did they even know who we were? We just couldn't believe it at all. So that just descended the campaign into a wee bit of madness as soon as they came on board because, like you say, they just put it on like a total global platform. Have you had any pushbacks from anyone? I can't see how anyone would see it's a bad idea, but it's, I mean, the internet mm. exists, so. Yeah, of course. I mean, largely we've been quite lucky in terms of the clubs that we've worked with. They've all been, you know, very much on board. I think they are all quite passionate about making their grounds more inclusive and showing that they are kind of forward thinking and making their grounds like a sort of a welcoming space for all the fans. Um, so, to be honest, there hasn't been that much pushback at all. There has been some clubs where you do have to negotiate a wee bit and say, you know, here's you know, the benefits of doing this. Because I think one of the myths as well, I think a lot of clubs are quite uncertain about, is that it's like quite high cost to implement this. I mean, it's, it's really, really not. It's really low cost to implement. And that's sort of demonstrated by the fact that there's junior clubs on board. And, you know, people like St Rocks and East End of Glasgow, like, they've, they're setting club on board and they've maintained that for almost a year now. So if the smaller clubs can do it, there's no reason why, you know, like St Manchester United and such can't do it. You've explained that you know where this has all came from, but it's it's created a bigger conversation with the the stigma on period poverty, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. That was one of our aims. We went into this, and we knew it was quite a radical thing to go into football grounds and you know start talking about a women's specific issue in a male-dominated environment. So we knew there was going to be a bit of backlash, but you know even all the sort of some of the quite ugly debate online that involves us. People are still talking about it, you know, and we're getting people, like, primarily men, like, later on in life, talking about periods with their pals. Like, that's all we wanted. We just wanted it to be in public consciousness and get people talking about it. So, I like, it's, it's doing a good job removing the stigma, even when it seems like the debate's quite harrowing. So what's next then, Erin? Have you got many clubs that you're you're looking to target to kind of tick off that list? Maybe, like, Scotland first, then wider? Yeah, so we're really wanting the silly Scottish Premiership on board. That would be magic. I think we're waiting on Aberdeen and I think St Johnston as well um, and Hamilton as well, I believe. So we'd really love, you know, Scottish Premiership to lead the way on this. But the primary goal really is just to get as many clubs on board as possible. When we first started, we thought like 50 would be magic and then it's just spiraled out of control and now we're thinking, well, it could even make it to 100. That then would be amazing like beyond imagination so really we just want people to keep getting in touch with and just keeping fans at the forefront of this kind of movement because football is all about money and big business now so we think it's dead important to make sure that grassroots campaigns are always growing and they're always visible so I'd say that was our main aim just to keep growing. Time to go around the grounds now Neil White has the latest from the Championship League 1, 2 and the Challenge Cup. Ross County may have one eye on the championship title, but on Saturday they had the other eye and eventually both hands on the Challenge Cup after a big comeback against the Nomads of Connors Key, the first of the guest teams that take part in this competition to make it to the final. Connors Key took the lead when Michael Bakare lashed one in from the edge of the box, but the Welsh team looked dead on their feet as they defended their own box for most of the second half and conceded three times in the last 15 minutes, with Ross County sub Josh Mullen scoring two. Just before that later kickoff on Saturday, County may have thought they would have something else to celebrate. Alloa were holding Dundee United 1-1 at Tannadice, but Nicky Clark's 83rd minute winner 
means that United can go to within two points of County at the top if they win in Dunfermline on Tuesday night. Let's qualify that by saying United will have played two games more than the leaders at that point and Dunfermline away is just about the toughest fixture in the championship on current form. Inverness Cali Thistle nudged Dunfermline out of the playoff zone on Friday night. They won 2-1 at Partick Thistle live on the telly with all the goals coming in a thrilling second half and every one our raker. Aaron Doran scored the opener and then set up the Inverness winner with a brilliant flick. Doran and Inverness are heating up at exactly the right time. Those results mean Aloha remain three points behind Partick at the bottom. Falkirk and Queen of the South are one point better off, but Aloha and Queens have an extra game to play. League One and Arbroath can wrap up the title on Saturday despite continuing their sloppy form of late. They drew 0-0 at Stranraer, but Forfa's defeat at Airdrie means that if Arbroath win at Forfa and Wraith Rovers drop points at East Fife, Arbroath will be champions in March. Wraith moves ahead of Forfa into second with a 4-1 win over Dumbarton. Kevin Nisbet scored league goals 24 and 25 in that one. Stennis Muir lost at Montrose and remained bottom, while Brecon moved three points clear of them with a big win, 2-0 at East Fife in League 2. Leaders Peterhead ground out a 0-0 away to their closest rivals, Edinburgh City. That result could look very good at the end of the season as they remain five clear with six games left to play. However, Clyde won again. They've been perfect since they were docked four points for fielding an ineligible player. They closed out a 2-1 win against Annan that had everything you could wish for in the last 10 minutes of a football match. A red card for the Clyde keeper, an equalising penalty for Annan, and then an injury time winner for the 10 men. Clyde go within a point of second place, Edinburgh City. And the Clyde keeper red carded late in that game. Blair Curry, his wee brother Max, is also a keeper for Stranraer, and he was sent off on Saturday as well in Stranraer's 0-0 draw with Arbroath. Finally, what in the name of God is happening at Albion Rovers? Declan Byrne, a forward released by Elgin City in January after scoring zero goals in the first half of the season, went back to his old club and scored both in a 2-0 win that means Albion Rovers, who had won one game of football and accumulated seven points at the start of this month, can now go above Berwick Rangers with a win over Cowdenbeath on Tuesday night. Is the greatest of all escapes taking place at Clifton Hill. One team not in action this weekend for Queen of the South, and that might have been for the best. The Dunhamers have lost their last seven in the Championship, but Queen's celebrated their centenary this week, 100 years old. Happy birthday, Queen's. We're joined now by Queen's fan and daily record writer Fraser Wilson. Fraser, fans claim Queens are the only team mentioned in the Bible. Is that right? It's certainly true to an extent. <laughs> it's partly true. They're certainly mentioned in the Bible. That's right. Something about the Queen of the South shall rise. So let's hope that... Jesus is a false nine, is it? <laughs> goes by the name Stephen Dobby as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that a politician who got the name or inspired the name? Again, I partly true. Dumfries got the name Queen of the South from a local poet. I think it was a poet-com politician that called Dumfries the Queen of the South. 
And next thing you know, the, the football team's taking their name from that. It's been a, a fairly decent history for Queen's, but if we talk about results, a, a lot of Queen's fans might talk about that 4-3 win over Aberdeen uh, in the Scottish Cup semi-final 11 years ago. I certainly remember it. Um, I remember going to the Scottish Cup final against Rangers as well. It was quite a run. I've got to say, I was at the game, I was in the Queen's then with my family and friends, I had split loyalties that day, I have to admit. It wasn't an enjoyable 90 minutes for me, but the aftermath, and then the final, even though they lost it to Rangers by one goal, it just it was an incredible year. I, I really enjoyed the final despite the defeat, but anyone that knows me, and if they're listening to this, would pull me up if I didn't admit I'd split loyalties in the semi. So, yes, a lot of people in my generation say that was the greatest game, and it probably was, but for me... It wasn't. <laughs> I remember that cup final actually being quality because I think Rangers went 2 0 yeah. up and then Queens actually bore it That's back right. to 2 all. And it was got a Chris Boyd yeah, free um, kick rocket that that killed Queens' hearts. Can, a you, bit. can you enjoy a final though when you support a team I, like Queens? Because that's the thing I found often with the Aberdeen finals is that I absolutely hate it when I'm there because the feeling that you're going to lose is awful and it makes it not even fun. When it's done, yeah. it's fine. The final was special. Jim Thompson's towering Heather to level things that, without doubt, along with James McFadden's goal in Paris, the moment Jim Thompson said I hit the net was, for me, the greatest football memory of my life as a supporter, without doubt. And then the rest of it just blurs. Chris Boyd scored a scrambled winner. That all pales in insignificance, I think. For 10 minutes, Queen's had a chance to go 3-2 up through. I think it was uh, Sean O'Connor. Uh, but his legs gave way and then... For 10 minutes, the, the, the Queen's end was delirious. It was unbelievable. I remember Sean O'Connor used to pull pints in Glen Capel. There was a pub in Glen Capel just off <laughs> Dumfries, and he used to, I think he was married to the landlord's daughter, and he used to pull pints in there. He was a great laugh. <laughs> How's the current team doing? I see Stephen Dobie scored a billion goals. Uh, 38, I think, is literally the number. And also, uh, he's inducted into a Hall of Fame at the weekend, right? That's right. Aye, I think he more than deserves that. Season 38 goals for the season and I think Queen's have only scored 35 in total in the league so that tells you something and I think uh, the run of games where the goals are dried up from has just brought all of our fears to the surface that when Stephen Dobie's no scoring Queen's are in a bit of trouble despite the fact they do still have good players out with Stephen Dobie but I think you have to go I, th- I checked this out earlier I think you have to go back to October to find the last time Queen's won a game where Dobie didn't score Lyndon Dykes is kind of a, a, a big reason Dobie's been so successful because he, he works so hard just behind him to provide little headers in behind for Dobie to get on it. Yeah. He's off to Livingston next season. I mean, I'm not suggesting that he's not playing to his full potential, but you know, are there a few players that might know they've got moves at the end of the summer and they're not really playing the way they should be at the moment? I've always wondered that with pre-contracts. Um, I'd like to put my faith in footballers every time they step on the park. It's impossible for them not to give 100% because they're playing in front of, in Queen's case, 1,400 people, you know. So I hope that's not the case. You've got Josh Todd as well, and I think that's a big reason Queen's have been struggling. He's been out injured since January, and he was a hugely influential player in the first half of the season. But he too signed a pre-contract with, it's Dundee, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's Dundee he's signed a pre-contract with. He's coming back to fitness now, so him and Lyndon Dykes are going to be huge players for the last um, the last two months. And to answer your question, 
I've always wondered that if there's a bit of that. Queens are going to face another summer rebuild. A lot of the bigger players leaving. The next three weeks, five huge fixtures are, are going to be pivotal and crucial to where Queens finish. And I, I, I do firmly believe there's going to be a turning point, and I think it might be at Tannadice this weekend. United have beaten us three times out of three this season, but something just tells me I've just got a gut feeling. For no, there's no science or maths behind it. I've just got a gut feeling this this weekend with the two huge games that come after it, um, home to Falkirk and home to Morton. Something's going to happen this weekend that's going to turn it back in Queen's favour. What do you think of the appointment of Laurie Ellis as uh, Queen's new assistant manager? Um, obviously, he was at Dundee United as well. Is that something, do you think there's maybe, you know, is he something for the future maybe, if Naismith goes afar? Because he almost he almost became the Dundee United manager. That's right, I think he was interim for a while, wasn't he? Well, it's funny, I was speaking to my friend Craig Easton, um, who, along with L'Oreal, uh, he, he was the youth coach at Tannadice for the last eight months, but like, a few up there has now been placed in gardening leave. They're getting cleared out for, I don't know, United are bringing in this new uh, structure, this, this new team of coaches. So Craig speaks really highly of Laurie Ellis, like a lot of people have. I've read up Apparently, I don't know the chat, but it's apparently great on the training ground. But what everyone says about him is he's a brilliant link between the management and players. He's a great in-between guy. And I think at times, when the pressure's on, when, when, when teams are struggling and dressing rooms can at times become a bit cliquey I think that sort of figure in there could be very important as much in the coaching and football side of things but also just as much in um, the mentality and the morale in the dressing room at this time of season I think it could be a brilliant appointment before Saturday comes, there's a couple of Premiership games this week. St Johnson versus St Mirren on Wednesday, um, which got rained off a week ago. And we'll also see if St Mirren are better than Scotland. <laughs> it's a big game for St Mirren. All these big games in the business end of the season. But it really is. <laughs> oh, I always find it so hard to go back to domestic football the week after international games. Ah, I love uh, it. I'm yeah, not going to lie, good. that, that does not entice me in the slightest. And it takes a good week or two for me to... Can I get back into it again? <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. That, that I'm not going to watch that. Well, we've also <laughs> that because St Johnston, right? They're pretty much they're, they're safe, but they, they, I don't think they're going to get in the top six either. So how much are they going to be against a team that's fighting for their lives? <laughs> well, that's that, that's the thing. It's very difficult to play against teams that are at, at, well for St Johnston's case at the bottom of the table. So we'll see what happens in that one. Uh, Livingston versus Hibs on Friday as well. I'm kind of looking forward to this one, if I'm honest, to see if uh, Paul Heckingbottom can continue his good run. Unbeaten in five league games. Yeah, I want to watch and see um, how Hibs are playing because it looks nice. Well, after that Motherwell game, it, there just seemed so much um, patience and, and the way that they built up to the, their goals were, were quite enjoyable to watch as well. So, I think Hibs would uh, beat um, Kazakhstan. Yeah, true. I also think Livingston would beat Kazakhstan because they're just absolute units. Genuinely, the way um, they, the way Guy Holt has them playing, I think they would have beat Kazakhstan. Yeah, well. it will be interesting because it's style against uh, <laughs> kind of. Well, should I say, kind of power? That's a good way to do it. I like that. Plus, a win for Hibs against power. Livy would put them above Hearts, albeit maybe temporarily until the weekend games. But it's still quite a message to send out there. Hearts, who started the season so strongly to slip into sixth place, says a lot for how much they've dipped. Yeah, where's that natural order? <laughs> <laughs> That's it from us. We'll be back next Monday when we all just calm down and review Celtic vs Rangers in peace. Ah, what happened, will it? Bring it on. 
You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Yeah.